The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. And now it's time for the Mr. Nelson Show. Okay, this is. Episode 275 of the Mr. Nelson Show. And once again, I'm sick with a cold. Possibly the flu. I don't know. It seems to be getting worse. So, uh, maybe I'll feel better by Friday and I can tape a better show, but I doubt it. As for what I intended, there will be no barren void. Uh, but worse than that was that this was the week that I had time off enough to where I was going to set down tracks for my Halloween special and, uh, maybe not completely finish it, but get the bulk of it done. Uh, well, <laughs> that's not going to happen. So, uh, maybe if I can squeeze in, uh, a version of that with, uh, putting, the barren void stuff off until you know uh, November uh, next month so uh, I guess that'll be that another problem was I intended to do some new uh, bits of uh, perhaps but maybe not because I thought that kind of stories that come out of that fit the uh, Halloween motif Um, well (laughs) again for the same reason uh, probably not going to do that. I mean, I'm going to keep doing perhaps maybe not when I get to it, but as far as having a special one or whatnot for uh, the show, uh, certainly uh, this weekend, no. So uh, instead, I I thought about uh, uh, an old-time radio uh, series that uh, inspired, uh, perhaps, but maybe not, uh, which uh, it was a series called Incredible But True. And uh, these were like mostly like three minute uh, segments on, on radio stations that would play them. And it was a bit of a, uh, a rip off of Ripley's believe it or not, which also would do radio spots. Uh, so I thought I would collect a few of those that, uh, most, since most of those are weird and strange stories that, uh, <laughs> the word true is, uh, even more loosely applied here than Ripley's believe it or not. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I thought it would be an appropriate, uh, Halloween themed type thing to present. And, uh, I'll play some of those here for you. And, uh, I think I got some news segments, man, I'm about to go to bed. I think I got some news segments that'll play as well. And then that's about it. Uh, but, uh, what am I going to do? These things happen. So, uh, here we go with uh, incredible, but true. And again, uh, I, I listen to this with a bucket of salt <laughs> on these uh, stories that they present. In the annals of the strange and the incredible, death has always played a significant role. For it is inevitable that the great mystery which has intrigued men's minds since the beginning of time should itself be surrounded by countless minor mysteries. Of all of these, none is more curious, none more difficult to explain than the tantalizing story of Geoffrey Derossier's Mirror. Geoffrey Derossier was dying. 
He lay in a ward at the War Memorial Hospital in Sault Ste. Marie. His nurse, Adeline Noop, hovering near his bed, knew that the end could not be far off. Indeed, she thought that consciousness had already slipped away. But then, to her astonishment, Geoffrey Drossier opened his eyes and his lips moved feebly. A mirror. Bring me a mirror. Hastening to obey what was unquestionably his last wish, Nurse Noop found the mirror and brought it to him. It was just an ordinary mirror, a rectangular piece of glass without a frame. He took it in his trembling hands and held it before his face. Mother, I'm dying! Nurse Noop and three other occupants of the ward heard that wild, frantic cry. They saw him throw the mirror down on the steel table that stood beside his bed. But it did not break. It lay where it had fallen. And Geoffrey de Rossier slumped weakly back on his pillows. But before he lost consciousness completely, de Rossier murmured one final mysterious statement. And every person in the room heard it. That mirror, you won't be able to pick it up. Later that morning, when the body of Geoffrey Drossier had been removed, Nurse Noop assisted in preparing the bed for a new patient. And then the mirror, still lying on the table, caught her eye. She bent to pick it up. A moment later, her face suddenly white, she hurried out of the room and summoned an intern who was passing in the corridor. Please, when she me. told him her story, he followed her to the bed, chuckling with amusement. I want to show it to you. Relax, nurse. I don't think I'd be too upset about this. But I tell you, it won't budge. You've heard of an e-gay fix, haven't you? The late patient planted the idea in your mind and it stayed there, that's all. You said you wouldn't be able to pick up the mirror and lo and behold, you can't pick it up. Let's see you pick it up. Good Lord. Lord. For some strange reason, it stuck to the table. And it remained stuck for 24 hours. During that time, practically every doctor and nurse on the floor tried to move it. And throughout that whole day and night, there was scarcely a person in the War Memorial Hospital who was not recalling with a shudder those strange last words of Geoffrey de Rossier. The following morning, Nurse Adeline Nuke came back on duty. Her first act when she entered the ward was to approach the bedside table. The occupants of the other beds watched attentively as she made one final effort to remove the mirror. I just touched it. Why, it, it flew high in the air. After that, the mirror was carefully examined. No chemical or adhesive substance was found either on it or on the surface of the table. Efforts were made to force it to re-adhere to the table, but they were unsuccessful. It still remains a mystery... A mystery, incredible, but true. You're listening to the Mr. Nelson Show here on RadioMisfits.com. Mr. Nelson here. Say, do you love the sound of my voice? <laughs> I know, me too. Well, now, with a little chump change... You can enjoy the sound of my voice while watching a movie. That's right. Films like Beast from Haunted Cave. It's about a bank heist gone wrong. No, it doesn't go wrong because the handsome ski instructor foils the plot. Or because the Robert's chain-smoking nymphomaniac girlfriend turns on him. No, it's because the gang didn't count on a giant spider monster living in a nearby haunted cave. 
The film stars Michael Forrest, who portrayed Apollo in the original Star Trek TV series. Yes, he's the guy who became a giant, making Captain Kirk look up his toga. Warning, due to an extreme lack of talent, bathroom humor is deployed throughout the film. So what are you waiting for? Head over to selfie.com slash Nelson. That's S-E-L-L-F-Y dot com slash N-A-I-L-S-I-N. <laughs> yes, Nelson, for me. There you'll find all the films that I've graced with my smart-ass commentary. So again, head over to selfie.com slash Nelson. Sally, I told you you needed to lose at least 25 pounds, but since our last visit, you've gained 10. I know, Doctor, but no matter what I do, I just can't seem to fight my compulsion to eat. Hmm, well, perhaps you should try slip-through. Slip-through? What's that? Why, it's the latest in diet pill medication. Utilizing the slip-through treatment, you can eat whatever you want, and you won't gain weight. In fact, of course, you'll lose it. Oh, well, give me it. Well, now, wait. Oh, ah, there. Of course, there are certain side effects, uh, including, oh, anal leakage, uh, projectile diarrhea, and, of course, your bed sheets will look like an empty pizza box. Wait, what? Well, you gotta understand, as the slip-through denies your body its ability to store fat, well, it, the food's gotta go somewhere, so, of course, it slips through. Oh, you mean, oh, oh! Ah, it's working already. Slip through available at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, and other fine pharmacies. Warning: Slip through may result in projectile vomiting, projectile diarrhea, anal leakage, bleeding urine, bleeding eyes, uh, organ failure, and memory loss. You have been warned. You're listening to the Mister Nelson Show here on RadioMisfits.com. Contrary to popular belief and to the conceptions of the writers of horror stories, strange and mysterious events do not require strange and mysterious settings. One of the most remarkable incidents in all the annals of the incredible took place on the teeming streets of New York City. It was there that the girl named Dorothy Arnold was last seen in human form. Missing persons have long been a daily phenomenon in this largest city in the world. Consequently, the chief of the Missing Persons Bureau of New York City looked upon it as a matter of routine when on December 13, 1910, a middle-aged man in a state of great agitation came bustling into the room. You people have got to help me find her. She's gone, disappeared. I want you to start looking for her this very minute. That might be easier if we knew who she is. It's my ward. It's Dorothy. Dorothy Arnold. How long has she been missing? Almost 24 hours. She came to my office yesterday morning. When she left, I walked up Fifth Avenue a few blocks with her. We separated at 79th Street. Which way did she go? She went into the park. She always came home for dinner, but she didn't show up. I waited up for her all night, but there was no sign of her. Within a half hour, the elaborate police machinery had gone into motion. In every section of the city, it was known that Dorothy Arnold, aged 20, 5 feet 5 inches tall, blue eyes, light blonde hair, was missing. The hospital lists were scrutinized. The recent arrivals at the municipal morgues were examined closely. Shadowy figures who were well known to the police were rounded up and questioned. The following morning, the chief of the missing persons department was ready to report to Robert Decker. We haven't found a single clue so far, Mr. Decker. But I wouldn't be too discouraged if I were you. It's been our experience that when girls disappear the way your ward disappears, it's usually because they want to. 
You mean you think Dorothy ran away? Well, she, uh, she doubtless had at least one male friend who wouldn't have been averse to the idea, didn't she? The only man she cared about, the only man she ever paid the slightest attention to, happens to be in Italy at the moment. When she came to my office, she was planning a tea for some of her former classmates, about 60 of them. It was to be held in my home next Thursday, the 17th. We talked about it all the way up Fifth Avenue, and Dorothy was tremendously pleased and excited about the whole thing. When she left me there at the 79th Street entrance to the park, she was well and happy. And then something happened to her. From that day until this, Dorothy Arnold has never been seen again. All this, one may say, is scarcely remarkable. But the case of Dorothy Arnold becomes remarkable when one considers an item that was printed in the pages of the New York Sun on December 13th, the day her disappearance was reported. Scientists were baffled by an unprecedented occurrence in Central Park this morning. There has never been a swan on the park lake before, but one appeared there today. The swan, a full-grown and particularly beautiful specimen, was first observed on that portion of the lake which borders the 79th Street entrance. No, Dorothy Arnold's disappearance has never been explained, nor has anyone ever been able to explain the presence of the swan on the lake in Central Park. All that can be said is that the two events occurred at the same time and in the same place. This is a fact which leads one to certain inescapable and astonishing conclusions. A fact incredible but true. This is a Nelson News Bulletin. Burglar got off with 12-inch adult toy. Hello, I'm Mr. Nelson. A burglar broke into a North Carolina residence and stole a 12-inch sex toy. Brunswick County Sheriff's Office deputies responded to a reported break-in at a residence in Leland, a town 10 miles from Wilmington. The burglary suspect, who remains at large, entered the Buckwood Court home and departed with the 12-inch electric vibrator wand. Two pieces of jewelry, coins, and several other items worth a combined $450. The stolen sex toy is valued at $30, according to the report, which does not reveal whether the item was new or used or if it came with batteries. The victim is listed as the 38-year-old woman who owns the 1,600-square-foot residence. If apprehended, the vibrator thief could face larceny and breaking and entering charges. Boy, that sounds like a lot of trouble just to rub one out. This has been a Nelson News Bulletin. You're listening to the Mr. Nelson Show here on RadioMisfits.com. Hooey! Where could I get a shirt like that? <laughs> oh, you need only look at the Mr. Nelson stores and shops. Stores and shops? You mean there's more than one? That's right. 
You see, you can go to the Mr. Nielsen store at Zazzle.com where there's all sorts of hats and shirts and sweaters and other good things like that with all kinds of Nelson art. And of course, the Mr. Nelson show logo. Or you can head over to Society6 for the other Mr. Nelson store where there again, more articles and apparel and other nice little things with Nelson art all over them. And last but not least, you can head to the Teespring store, the Mr. Nelson shop, where, yes, you guessed it, more Nelson shirts and mugs and stickers and other great cool things of Nelson art all there for you. So, of course, the choice is yours. The stores are many. So look up Mr. Nelson stores at Mr. Nelson shop at Society6Zazzle.com and Teespring.com. Oh, man, I can't wait! (laughs) Yeah, well, don't. You're listening to the Mr. Nelson Show here on RadioMisfits.com. The poltergeist, or playful spirit, has been for centuries a familiar figure in the literature of psychical research. No one has ever seen him, no one has ever proved that he really exists. And while sophisticated minds of the 20th century may scoff at the idea of an invisible imp who maliciously moves furniture and shatters crockery, there are literally thousands of cases of such spontaneous physical phenomena which cannot be otherwise explained. There is, for example, the case of Mr. Playfair, the Miller of Kent. J.C. Playfair, owner of the furnace mill at Lamhurst, Kent, was a solid and practical man. Hence, when the hired man informed him on a certain May morning in the year 1906 that a mysterious visitor had entered the stables during the night, Mr. Playfair was slightly annoyed. How could anyone get in the stables? Every door's locked and bolted, and you and I have the only keys. He didn't need a key, sir. It was one of the playful spirits. Some folks call him the poltergeist. Oh, for heaven's sake, Scoblin. How many times have I told you there are oh, no... Oh, no, sir. But just the same, sir. I wish you'd come out to the stables and look for yourself. And so, Mr. Playfair, mumbling his disgust over the whole silly business, followed his hired hand out to the stables. Good Lord! Look at the horses. They've all been turned around in their stalls. Aye, sir. And the mare, she's gone. Aye, sir. Cumberly, you've done it yourself. There isn't room to turn those horses around like that. They'd have to be led out of the stalls and led back in again through this door. And the door was bolted. I know, sir. But I haven't so much as touched him. Now, where's my mare? She couldn't possibly have got out. This is ridiculous, Cobbley. The whole thing's perfect. Listen, sir. Great Scott. What is it? The barrel of lawn, sir. Up in the loft. He pushed it downstairs. The spirit's still in here. Spirit nothing. Nobody but a man could have moved that barrel. You up there. Come down. Come down, I say, or I'll come up and get you. But no one came down. And when Mr. Playfair, stepping over the lime barrel at the foot of the stairs, climbed up to the loft, he found it quite empty. He was on his way back to the ground floor again, when suddenly... The water butt, sir, standing right there in the corner. He just turned it over. The water butt? Good Lord, man. You and I together wouldn't have the strength to butt it. Well, he did, sir. And that means he's right here in the room with us. And that means I'm getting there. Scobbly, wait a moment. Come back. We're not leaving here till we've found my mare. 
The A room is the only place left, and she couldn't very well be in there. Now, could she? The hay room was a tiny space adjoining the stable, and the doorway to it was scarcely wide enough for a man, much less a horse, to squeeze through. Nevertheless, Mr. Playfair, having no place else to look, and ready by now to believe almost anything, did pull open the door and squint into the gloomy, malodorous room. Godly, look! She is in here. Now, how on earth could she have gotten through this narrow little door? Of course, any sensible and civilized person of the 20th century knows that there are no such creatures as poltergeists. And yet, the miller's horses were turned about in their stalls, and the lime barrel and the water butt were upset, and it was necessary to remove a partition to get the mare out of the hay room. And though we may dismiss with a superior smile the idea of a playful spirit, these remain facts. Facts incredible, but true. And now, it's time for the Bayou Crime Report. Man broke into woman's apartment and exposed his genitals. Hello, I'm Mr. Nelson. An 18-year-old man is accused of breaking into a woman's apartment and exposing his genitals. Capon Linden was arrested and charged with unauthorized entry of an inhabited dwelling. Lafayette police responded to a call about an intruder at about 5 a.m. to an apartment complex on Bertrand Drive. The victim told officers she woke up and saw a man, later identified as Linden, standing over her bed with his genitals exposed and ejaculating onto her bed. Oh, God! Man, I should really read this ahead of time before I tape this stuff. Uh, yeah, officers combed the area to find and arrest Lyndon. I assumed he was fully dressed and no longer dripping everywhere. But anyway, bond for Lyndon was set at $10,000. Yeah, well, I guess he got off, but he won't get off. <laughs> okay. The Bayou Crime Report is a presentation of Nelson Productions. Out of the annals of the strange and the incredible, accounts of nightmarish creatures often appear to challenge our credulity. Here is a story about one such creature, a fantastic creature called the Abominable Snowman. that no European can say that he has actually seen the abominable snowman, and no American either. But if you should ask some wise and scholarly old monk, he would tell you. The abominable snowman? Why, yes, of course I have seen him. And so have several of my brothers here. He dwells in the Himalayas, and sometimes at night you can hear his great roar and his footsteps echoing down the valley. Come. I will show you a picture of him. Then the monk would lead you to a lurid painting hanging on the wall. And you would see a monstrous creature of gigantic height and breadth. He stands on two feet like a man, and his skin is white. But he is covered with black hair, and his face is the face of a beast. 
And if you should travel into the neighboring countries of Nepal or Bhutan, and if you should speak of the matter to one of the Sherpas or other native groups that inhabit Central Asia, the thing that would startle you would be the close resemblance between the picture he paints in words and the picture that hangs on the monastery wall. For they have seen him with their own eyes, and they have heard his roar. But it must not be assumed that all Europeans are skeptical of his existence. There is, for example, Mr. H.W. Tillman, who led the expedition of 1938 to the peak of Mount Everest. In reporting on his adventures, Mr. Tillman referred to one rather mysterious and perplexing sight that he and his party stumbled on. There were footprints, tracked of some sort. We found them in a snowfield in the Karakarams, far above the permanent snow line. They were round, the size and shape of an enormous soup plate. They ran in a double line for a considerable distance. All I can suggest is that they might have been made by this creature whom the Asiatics call the abominable snowman. And then, of course, there was Miss MacDonald, an English lady of Delampong. She'd been warned by the natives of Tibet to beware of the fabulous monster. But, like others before her, she had smiled tolerantly and continued on her way. And then, on a certain afternoon, as she was traversing a high mountain pass that led across the Tibetan border, she heard... It was not the roar of an avalanche. Miss MacDonald made that quite clear in her comments on it. Oh, heavens, it was an animal, unquestionably. Why, it was so loud, so, so violent, that it actually shook the ground under my feet. Yes, it is quite probable that this fantastic creature does live and breathe and roam the snow-capped peaks of the Himalayas. For otherwise, how can we explain the Asiatics' unquestioning faith in him? and their unanimous agreement on his appearance. And how can we explain the tracks in the snow and the great roar that shook the earth? It seems, on the basis of the evidence available, quite likely that someday science will recognize the abominable snowman, not as a myth or a legend, but as a fact, incredible but true. Oh, boy. What's the matter, Sally? I guess the beer just doesn't give me the buzz it used to. You need a butt jug. A butt jug? I'm not pouring beer in my ass. <laughs> not beer. Cough syrup. Here, let me flip you over. What? Oh, 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 oh my, oh. Let's move these panties aside. <laughs> and we'll insert this dupe. Oh, ah, oh. Here comes the cough syrup, Sally. Oh, ah, oh. <laughs> wow. The walls are melting. I see flowers taking flight and turning into stars. <laughs> Can't get a buzz? Then you need a butt jug. Warning, butt jugging may lead to brain damage, rectal rot, and or farts that smell menacing. In today's modern world, we tend to ridicule the idea that there are people possessed of the power of transforming themselves into animals. Yet, every now and then, a story appears in the chronicles of the strange and the incredible that makes us pause to wonder. Consider, for example... The case of Carl Janus. When the writer Maurice Russell retired to a lonely cabin in the mountains of northern Georgia, he took with him voluminous notes which were to form the basis of his next novel. But he did not know then that the most intriguing, the most tantalizing story that he would ever write lay not in his carefully kept files, but in the creature who bore the name of Carl Janus. Yes, come in. 
Good morning. The sound of that voice, Russell whirled around. My name's Janus. I just moved into the hut down the valley. Well, I... I'm glad to know you. His new neighbor's appearance had shocked him to the core. His brows were shaggy, and his black beard failed to conceal his remarkably powerful jaws. The hands were covered with thick hair and tapered off in long, dirty, claw-like nails. His front teeth protruded like fangs. Why, he's like an animal. A week later, Russell stumbled on the answer. It was during a conversation with another neighbor, Saul Pritchard, who had dropped into the cabin with a piece of bad news. Tom Westerfield's boy, walking along the road last night, and all of a sudden this critter jumped out at him and turned near Tom to pieces. Says it might have been a big dog or a wildcat or even a wolf. That's it, of course. That's what he looks like. A wolf. In the two months that followed, four other men were also attacked. And then, on a certain night, when Saul Pritchett was returning from a trip to town, his wagon had just rounded a sharp curve on Little Bald Mountain, and suddenly his horse reared back and whinnied in terror. It's the wolf. As he spoke, the wolf, who had been crouched on a boulder at the side of the road, sprang through the air. Saul Pritchard seized the pitchfork that lay beside him in the wagon. He raised it in front of him to guard himself, and the beast's body, hurtling against the improvised weapon with terrific force, was impaled on the ground. Saul did not wait to see whether it was dead or not. But the following morning, searchers who returned to the scene found only the bloody pitchfork. Afterward, as time passed, and no more attacks ensued on the roads around Bald Mountain the inhabitants concluded that they were at last rid of the killer. But the writer, Maurice Russell, has added a significant footnote. A few nights after Saul Pritchard's encounter with the wolf, Russell and Pritchard visited Carl Janus' hut. No one responded to their knocking. Janus lay motionless on his bed. His shirt front was stained with blood. Russell unbuttoned the shirt and examined the body carefully. That pitchfork you used, Saul... It had three prongs. Yes, that's right. Why do you ask? Because there are no holes in Carl Janus' shirt. But there are three deep gashes in his chest. Yes, the man, Carl Janus, the man whose appearance in the community had been simultaneous with the appearance of the wolf, had died with marks on him which one might have expected only the wolf to bear. Let those who scoff at the werewolf tradition, let them explain this. Astonishing story. A story incredible but true. The views and opinions expressed there the Mr. Nelson show do not necessarily reflect those held by RadioMissions.com. So, any complaints and or comments should be sent to at Mr. Nelson on Twitter, whether we properly ignored and or blocked.